Hey, so one of the things about me is I love travel. If the travel bug is a real thing, then I most certainly have, have caught it. Uh, nothing makes me happier than being able to take a trip and go somewhere. Uh, next month, my wife and I were going on a baby moon. Um, I, don't know, I don't know who created the baby moons, but it's a good idea, right? Uh, you basically leave your kids behind and go celebrate one last time before you have a kid keeping you up at all ungodly times of the night. And we're going to go to Mexico next month. Anybody ever been on a trip to Mexico? Nice, nice, nice. Anybody ever been on a trip to the Caribbean? All right, there we go. Let me see who's balling. Let me see who's balling. Uh, who has been on a trip to Africa? Oh, nice. I am jealous. Last one. Uh, who has been on a guilt trip? <laughs> hey, those are no fun, uh, and that's what we're talking about today, guilt. I have been on so many guilt trips that I have platinum medallion status uh, on that airline. Uh, I board first, and I, I get a, a nice warm towel when I, when I get on the plane. Uh, and those are no fun. And quite frankly, uh, guilt doesn't belong in the life of the Christian. Now, one of the definitions of guilt is it's a feeling of having done wrong or failed into an, in an obligation. And without God's grace... Guilt creates fears in your life. Without God's grace, guilt doesn't just stay as guilt. It doesn't just stay as an acknowledgement of doing wrong. It creates a whole bunch of fear in your life. Now, there's a difference between guilt and conviction. Conviction is also focused about wrongdoings that you committed. Conviction is primarily concerned with a, a relationship that has now been messed up as a result of your wrongdoing. Guilt is something different. It's inward. It focuses on you and what you have done wrong and what you need to do to fix it. But guilt is not something that God wants us to carry around. Uh, there's a famous scripture in Matthew 11 where Jesus talks uh, and he gives this really beautiful address on what it looks like to come to him. And he says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The easy uh, yoke and the light burden that Jesus is talking about is not a whole bunch of guilt that you're carrying around on your shoulders. And quite frankly, guilt is something that we put on ourselves. Now, it's interesting. Guilt doesn't just stay as an emotion that you uh, acknowledge, but it, it turns into fear and it manifests itself in a number of ways. Uh, in the back of your head, you'll be thinking about uh, if someone were to discover this about me, uh, it would lead into a whole bunch of fears. The first fear is that you would be rejected by others. Guilt creates a fear in your life that you would be rejected by God or by other people. Uh, if they knew this, they would leave me. Uh, they wouldn't want to be around me. And this is a big one for people who have stayed away from church for a while. Uh, maybe this is a reason that this is one of your first times back in a long time because you're afraid of being rejected by God or by other people. And if that's you, you are in a, a, a great place today. We're not going to be uh, flinging uh, rejection around at all today. Uh, but this is a real big one. I think all of us carry this, uh, this in our head that if people knew the real stuff about us, they would reject us. Uh, I think this is why the dating scene is the way it is. Uh, most early dating is like going to a used car shop, right? There's a used car salesman who basically presents the absolute best version of this vehicle that you're about to buy and leaves out all of those really inconsequential details of, yeah, the car was just in a near total accident, but it has a brand new paint job. I mean, it's, and we threw some rims on it. They're not 20s, but they clean. I, I, 
And there comes a point in almost every relationship uh, where you're gonna have to leave the used car salesman phase and go into the real phase where you have to let people know the real you, warts and all. I remember when I was first dating Jessica and um, there came a point when it was getting serious and I just knew that there were some things about me that she had to know. And I remember how nervous I was to look her in her face and to say, hey Jess, I'm a Knicks fan. I am. It's, it's, I was scared that she would leave me and she'd reject me. Uh, but the fear of being rejected is, is a real one. Uh, it's something that actually makes us hide. It's interesting, in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve first sinned, the first thing that they did was hide. Did they think that God couldn't find out what they did or God didn't know what was going on? Of course they weren't that crazy, but there's something inside of all of us that makes us want to hide out of fear of being rejected. Uh, the next fear that we have that guilt creates is that God is punishing me. God is punishing me for what I've done. Now, here's where this would manifest in your life. Whenever there's suffering or unfortunate circumstances, how you interpret that will tell you whether or not you're carrying around guilt. Case in point, I didn't get the job that I wanted. I didn't get the apartment that I wanted. My relationship is not where I want it to be. This contract didn't come in. And the first thing that you think about is that the reason this didn't happen is because God is punishing me. God is getting me back for X, Y, and Z that I've done in my life. And that's guilt that's telling you that. Uh, the last fear that we have is that God will judge me. And what it boils down to is judgment, that God is uh, somehow in heaven with a scale, right? And he's counting your good and your bad, and he's weighing it out. And God forbid the scale tips in the wrong direction, because if it does, he's going to judge you. Now, last week when we talked about adoption and the purpose of what God wants to accomplish in our lives, the sole purpose of it was this. What God is after in your life is that you would know him as a parent, and not as a judge. Yes, we know that we'll all stand before God to give an account for our lives, but what God is after in our life is not just to merely uh, put you on a scale and tell you what you have done right or wrong, but rather to bring you into his family. Uh, last week, we looked at the scripture from Ephesians that says that God has made us uh, the objects of his love. He's predestined us for adoption. What God wants to do is bring you into the family, and that fundamentally changes the way that you would relate to God. Now, so the scripture that we are turning to this morning seeks to undo the guilt that we would put on our own shoulders, and I'll admit it's, it's no easy task. Uh, it's still in the first uh, chapter of the book of Ephesians, written by a man named Paul, verses 7 and 8, and Paul says it like this, uh, written to a crowd much like me and you. He says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Forgiveness. Uh, the one thing that we all need and struggle to actually receive. Now, I've been in ministry for about 15 years, and um, I've been a pastor for about five, and I can't think of a topic that is more profound and least received than forgiveness. Something we all need and struggle to actually receive. But here, Scripture is telling us in him, we have redemption. We have present tense. This is already in our possession. Now, there's a couple of things that make forgiveness really difficult. And most of it is that the way when we feel guilt and we feel wrongdoing, we have a number of ways that we manage it instead of coming to God and asking for forgiveness. Uh, and the first way is burying it. Uh, we all have our preferred methods of how we try to bury our guilt. Uh, there's a bunch of different ways you can do it, but here's the problem about trying to bury stuff. 
It always comes back up, mostly at the most inconvenient time. Uh, some of us try to mi minimize our lives and minimize the wrong that we've done or the sin that we've committed. Hey, it's not that big of a deal. Everybody is doing it. This is New York City. I mean, you know, this Bible was written how many years ago, and it's going to tell me how to live my life today? It's not that big of a deal. I'm not a serial killer. I'm, I'm not really hurting anybody. This is just me and my decision. So what? Uh, I, I changed some stuff on my taxes. I, you know, that tax refund season is going to be my, it's gonna be my season. That's what I need to come up. And if you're not careful, uh, you can minimize your way to the point to where you're burying, you're burying. Some of us try to rationalize it and tell ourselves that it was justified. The reason I'm not going to forgive that person is because you don't know what they did, and they're not even sorry, and, you, you know, they don't even know, uh, you know, how much they harm me, and, you know, they deserve to suffer a little bit. They deserve everything they got coming to them, so in our minds, we rationalize. Maybe we compromise. We just lowered our standards so much that we don't even know what we believe anymore. In Psalm 32, uh, David talks about what happens when he tried to bury his sin. He says, when I kept silent, my bones became brittle from my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was drained and as in the summer's heat. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not conceal my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. There's a much better approach than bearing it, and it's coming to God and asking for forgiveness. Uh, the second way that many of us try to deal with our guilt, besides forgiveness, is to beat ourselves up. And this is personally my go-to move. Uh, on my way to church today, I was thinking about stuff that I didn't do, and I was beating myself up. On my way to preach a sermon about forgiveness and not beating yourself up. Um, this is a way I self-administer punishment uh, and try to pay for my mistakes. Uh, without the gospel we'll end up hating ourselves instead of our sin. Now, without the gospel, we're motivated through all types of uh, fear and, and pride, but that really does, doesn't change us at all. And, and beating ourselves up is a pretty dangerous thing. And here's why beating yourself up is so dangerous. When is enough enough? How do you know that you've beat yourself up enough for what you've done? What's the limit? How many days? How many weeks? How many times do you have to feel terrible in order for it to be uh, effective in your life? Now, some of us in this room uh, are still feeling guilty about stuff that you've done 10 years ago, and you're trying to beat yourself up about it and over and over and over again, and you still feel guilty about it. It's like drinking salt water. You can drink it, it might quench your thirst for a little bit, but eventually it makes you more and more thirsty. Now, I beat myself up a ton. Uh, a couple months ago, or, or last month, uh, we have our living room baby-proofed, and we have these little foam thingies on the corner to keep our son from hurting himself. And one day, one of the corners fell off, I put it back on, fell off, put it back on, fell off, I put it back on. And instead of taking the five minutes to just go in the kitchen, get some new tape, and actually do it, I was busy watching the NBA game, checking my fantasy scores, and as I was uh, watching TV, I see my son trying to carry something, and he falls and hits his head right on the spot that I didn't cover it up. I beat myself up for days and days, and eventually my wife grabbed me by my arm, slapped me in my face, and said, hey, dude, enough is enough. Interestingly, physically, there are limitations in your life that stop you from beating yourself up, but emotionally and spiritually, there is no limiter. You can just go and go and go and go and go. Physically, your body has things that stop you from inflicting harm on, on itself. Uh, a few years ago, I was working out with Lawrence, and anybody who watches Lawrence's Instagram 
uh, you know that Lawrence is about that gym life, right? There are people who go to the gym, and there's people who are about that life. And Lawrence is about that life. Uh, and he came into the, the gym one morning with a smile on his face, like, oh, I got, a, I got a good exercise today. And I'm like, that doesn't sound fun at all, actually. He said, hey, instead of doing squats, we're going to do negative squats. And I'm like, I don't even know what that is. But basically, instead of just going down and coming up like normal people do, he was like, we're going to go down super slow and then explode up. And I was like, all right. He did it first. It looked easy when he was doing it. And uh, he said, the key to this is, though, you have to breathe on your way down, breathe in on your way down, and out on your way up. I confused my breathing and was breathing out on my way down and held my breath up on the way up. And before I know it, the corners of the room were starting to get dark. And I just had to stumble. And Lawrence just grabbed the weight with his pinky and just like threw it back on the weight. <laughs> my body basically said, dude, enough is enough. Either sit down or we will sit you down. And for the rest of the day, as I sat there drinking Gatorade, trying to recover from that, I realized our bodies have limitations on what it will allow you to do to itself. Emotionally, that doesn't exist. There is no limiter that you have emotionally and spiritually from beating yourself into the ground, and it will be like salt water. You'll drink and drink and drink, and you'll just get thirstier and thirstier and thirstier. Scripture gives us a much better way than dealing with our, our sin and our, 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 our faults and our mistakes and our guilt than trying to bury it or trying to um, beat ourselves up about it. And it's a universal problem that we all have. Um, uh, oftentimes when we have messages like this, uh, as soon as you say the word guilt, um, I bet a lot of imaginations just started to run wild. You could think about things in your life that you've done that you said, hey, if people knew this about me, they wouldn't want me in community group next to them. If people knew this about me, then they wouldn't think as highly about me as they do. We all know that there's areas in all of our life that uh, there's sin. The Bible tells us in Romans 3 and 23, for all, not some, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And most of us would turn to burying it or beating ourselves up about it. But scripture gives us a much better way. It's to turn to God, to simply receive the forgiveness that he offers to us. Tell me if this scripture describes you. For I do not understand what I am doing because I do not practice what I want to do, but I do what I hate. What a wretched man or woman that I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's something in all of us that does the very things that we don't want to do, and the things that we do want to do, we don't do them nearly enough. So the question is, what can undo all of the mess that I've done? Scripture uh, here, I want to reread it. It says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. In him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness, the forgiveness of sin. Now, the first thing uh, I want to draw from this text is that forgiveness is found in the person of Christ, and it's not a detached concept. Forgiveness is found in the, in the person of Christ, and it's not a detached concept. Fun fact, um, when these letters were written, like this letter of, of, of Ephesians to the Ephesian churches, there was no Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John of the Gospels that you and I have read about the life of Jesus. Essentially, when Christian communities would gather, they would gather around the Old Testament teachings, and they would see how Jesus Christ fulfilled everything in the Old Testament. So when Paul was saying that in him we have redemption of 
we have redemption and we have forgiveness of sins. He was basically uh, instructing this crowd how they would see Christ in all of the Old Testament. And they would know, they, were, they knew how, uh, what Paul was getting at. Now, essentially, in the Old Testament, there was this thing called the Day of Atonement, where a high priest would take two goats, and one goat, he would, uh, he would lay it on the mercy seat, and he would sacrifice it. That goat's blood would be spilled for the forgiveness of sins. Now, that sounds pretty uh, tough to do that to an animal um, uh, in, in, in this day and age. Like, why would they sacrifice uh, a perfectly good animal? Uh, these ancient people realized that there was something that had to be paid for our sins, God is just, God is holy, and God is not going to just, uh, God uh, uh, was requiring some payment be made for our sins, and that for them was this goat. The second goat, they would take it and they would release it into the woods and to be seen never again. So essentially, when uh, Paul is saying that Jesus Christ, in him we have redemption, he's saying in Christ we have the one who was slain for our sins. We have the one that was laid on the mercy seat of the cross and his blood was shed for the remission of our sins. Secondly, Jesus was the one that took our sins and carried them away into the wilderness, never to be seen again. So you can hold on to your sin if you want to, but Jesus took it away. First thing I want us to see in this text is that forgiveness um, is not a detached concept, but it comes in the person of Christ. So what do we do to receive this forgiveness? We simply turn to him. We don't, we don't need to beat ourselves up or try to bury it, but rather, as Scripture says in 1 John 1 and 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to, um, to forgive us of all of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. You do not need to try to bury it. You do not need to try to beat yourself up over it. Merely turn to Christ, simply and beautifully turn to Christ, and we can receive forgiveness from all of our sins. Now, the second uh, thing that I want to draw from this text is so... It's so simple, but it's, it's really difficult for me to actually get. You don't have to feel forgiven to be forgiven. Paul is saying this, in him we have, present tense, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You already have it, whether or not you feel like you have it. He's writing to a group of people like me and you who are slow to believe um, that we, uh, our feelings are slower to catch up to our reality. Here's the thing about our feelings. Your feelings are not necessarily a good indicator of what your reality is in God's eyes. A couple years ago, uh, I bought an apartment, and I bought it at the height of the real estate market, and uh, the, the market started to crash, and eventually I owed much more on the apartment than what, uh, the, what it was worth. So I couldn't even sell it, and um, I couldn't pay for it. So uh, we tried to rent it out to some people for a little bit, and that worked, um, and we were kind of treading water. But eventually, my building stopped letting me rent it out, and I was having to pay the mortgage, the maintenance, and my rent in Harlem, and it was bleeding us out uh, every first of the month. Uh, it would just produce so much anxiety as we were crunching numbers and seeing how we can rob Peter to pay Paul just to pay our, our, our bills, and it was, it was a stressful, stressful time. And then, one day, by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, I sold that joint. Man, that was the, I was sitting in the closing like, sign the paper, sign the paper, sign the paper, sign the papers. Please sign these papers. And she, the lady signed it, and we transferred the deed from, her to, from me to her. And I have never felt a better feeling in my life than to know that this transaction had been fully complete. Something weird happened, though. In the next couple of days and weeks, I still kept feeling anxiety, especially every first of the month. I was still feeling the anxiety that I owed the bank money. 
even though the transaction had fully been complete. I no longer owed a penny to Chase Manhattan Bank. I was still feeling anxious about it. And here's the thing. Even though I didn't feel like the debt was paid, the debt had been paid. Scripture tells us that what uh, we need is more than just to rely on our feelings. Our feelings are a terrible, terrible, terrible indication of what is actually going on in our lives. And so it tells us in Romans 12 and 2, uh, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, it's interesting that Scripture tells us that our minds need to be renewed. This progressive practice that happens where our minds are starting to be uh, more and more aligned with God's will for our lives. And our feelings are often very slow to catch up with what God has done in our life. But you don't have to feel forgiven to be forgiven. The last thing um, that we see in this text that I want to draw out for today is that forgiveness comes from the riches of God's grace. Now, two times in this verse, the author Paul makes a point and makes it his very intentional effort to let us know that God is not, doesn't just possess grace, but that he's rich in it. Over and over again, he says it. I'll look at verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. Now, I don't know if you've ever been around someone who's really rich, not hood rich, but like real rich. Um, and they got like, they got money for real. Um, uh, at the last church I went to, there was a couple, um, and they got rich based off of an algorithm that they created that allowed traders on Wall Street to make a trade milliseconds faster than anybody else. Needless to say, he went almost uh, overnight from making a good living to having more money than he could ever dream of. He literally said, like, yo, I have more money now than I ever dreamed possible. Uh, they went to a school fundraiser for his school. They bid uh, $25,000 for a box of cronuts just because they wanted a box of cronuts. It was a benefit for the school. They were just raising the paddle, raising it up, raising it up, $25,000. Their apartment overlooking Central, uh, overlooking Central Park, they outbid Matt Damon for it. $27,000 a month for rent. 27 Gs. He was making so much money, he was just balling out. He was living lavishly. We went to his house, they would throw dinner parties, and I'm like, yo, I'm going to enjoy every... Y'all should not have invited me. I will have another glass of that, yes. As the, as the psalmist Rihanna once exclaimed, pour it up, pour it. Y'all got these $100 steaks? I'm about to eat all of these joints. Listen, here it. <laughs> now, even though I could never live like that, never, not in my wildest dreams, I had absolutely no problem benefiting from their riches. When Scripture tells us that God is rich in grace, here's what he's saying. You don't have to be able to live like that for you to benefit from his riches. You don't have to be able to do it in order for you to personally benefit from his riches. And you're crazy if you let that $50 uh, filet mignon go past you and you just eat a little corner of it. He's rich. Eat as much as you would like. For my vegan friends, the, the, the nice soy, the nice soy that goes past you. <laughs> the nice guacamole, the really expensive avocados. <laughs> 
You would be absolutely crazy to be in the presence of someone who's spending 27 G's a month on his rent, is not even blinking about it, and you wouldn't fully enjoy every opportunity that you have. When Scripture tells us that God is rich in grace, it's saying God is rich in grace, and you are absolutely out of your mind if you do not enjoy it. Not just receive it tacitly, but enjoy it. Uh, there's a scripture in the Bible that every time I read it, it actually confuses me. It, it shows the level to which Jesus Christ is bawling in grace. Uh, there's a scripture when Jesus was on his way to the cross, and there were men whose sole job was to inflict punishment and humiliation on him. So they would punch him in his face and say, prophesy to us now, who hit you? They would spit on him, mock him, place the crown of thorns on his head, nail them to a cross, and you want to know Jesus' words to them? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus Christ is rich in grace. His grace is beyond what I could ever fathom in my life, and you and I would be absolutely crazy to not receive that grace and that forgiveness from him. We don't have to be able to live like that to, in order to benefit from his riches. And he lavishes it on us. Even though you didn't earn it, you can still relax and enjoy the benefits of what Jesus has done on our behalf. Hey, this week in your CBRs, for those of you who are doing our, our community Bible reading journal with us, uh, I want you to make a more intentional effort um, to spend some time in that confession box, knowing and having the confidence that God is rich in grace and mercy for you, and you can pour out your heart to him and know that we can find grace in our time of need. Uh, for those of you who, guys, who are new, CBR is a way that we try to connect with God on a daily basis. We have them available for you um, after service if you would like one. Second thing I would love for you to do is uh, oftentimes one of the ways that we bury it is we don't let other people know what's really going on in our lives. James 5 and 16 says, confess your sins one to another so that you may be healed. And I think what James was getting at in terms of how we actually receive healing is that there's something healing about telling someone else who's close to us about our struggles so that they know what's going on. Now, of course, our confession should be to, should be to God primarily, but there's something about our walks with God that although they are personal, they are never individual. And it would benefit us all greatly to have people who know what your peculiar and particular struggles are so that they can hold you accountable, so that they can pray for you, so that they can walk alongside you as you try to live a life that honors God. And lastly, I want us to turn to God now in something called a prayer of confession. Now, for thousands of years, churches have done uh, corporate prayers where they come together and they would pray together uh, to God in, in unison. And I think there's something beautiful about coming to God together in a prayer. And if you guys can, I would, I would love if you can stand with us. Um, and we're just going to pray. The word should be on the screen. I'll try not to read too quickly. Please read along with me. Have mercy on us, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, according to your glorious grace freely given. Father in heaven, we ask for your forgiveness. We have wrongly believed that your love for us would run dry. We have wrongly believed your grace is insufficient. We confess that we have tried to work off our own guilt we have tried so hard to pile up good deeds that outweigh our sins. We have tried to heal ourselves instead of trusting in the death of Jesus Christ. 
When this doesn't work, we quickly turn to denial and distraction. We bury pain and shame. We blame others for our plights. We attempt to crush ourselves as a means for penance. Instead of trusting in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have tried to change through our own efforts. We have tried to change our hearts through sheer willpower. This has left some of us arrogant. This has left most of us anxious and depressed. Forgive us for trying to heal ourselves. Forgive us for neglecting your grace. Forgive and heal us. Today, may all our guilt melt away in your grace. Today, may all our fears be cast away by your love. Lord, you promised that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. We come to you now freely confessing our sin, knowing that we will find grace at the cross. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for you, for your love for us, for the riches of your grace. Lord, help us to enjoy that. Help us to live in that. Help us not to hide from you, but to run towards you. We ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.